Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa. And today, we've got a really special guest on the show. We're going to talk about English. We're going to talk about learning the language. And also, we're going to talk about learning through a medium that, that I really like and that I'm very comfortable with, which is podcasts. And she has one of the top-rated podcasts in the Education K-12 through topic in iTunes. I reached out to her earlier this week, and she was gracious enough to, to respond and agree to be a guest on the show. So I'm super excited. Her name is Anna Riggin, and her podcast is called A Cup of English. And we're going to get into what it's about right now, but I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to let her tell you all about it. So without further further ado, Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Yusefa. This is very exciting. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. It's exciting for me too. First, can you tell us where where you're from with your with your lovely accent? Oh, well, I was born and raised in England, mm-hmm. and I came to the United States when I was about oh 22 for a visit, and um, as things happen, it wasn't on my list of plans, but I fell in love, got married, and settled here in Wenatchee in Washington State. So, uh, yeah, that was a while ago. I've been to, well, I've been to Seattle a few times. I myself live in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. But how, how far is that from Seattle? Los Angeles from Seattle, well, if you're flying, it's probably two and a half hours. But I mean, I mean, what, what the place where you said you're from, when, what is it called? Oh, right. yes, Wenatchee. Wenatchee. It's a, it's a three-hour drive. From ah, okay. So we're not in the rainy Emerald City area, not in that belt. We're actually across the Cascades and Wenatchee is uh, a semi-desert area. It's, it was known as the apple capital of the world. I mean, we're all orchards. Uh, oh. So it's really pretty. Yeah, the Columbia runs through it and there's a, there's a, a small, actually fairly decent size uh, ski resort. Uh, so it's very recreational. It's beautiful. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, yeah. so so tell us about yourself. So I know you you were a teacher. Can you tell us about your background in education. Okay, well, uh, of course, born in England, educated there. I went to university in London, London University. Um, spent a year abroad in Spain. I'm half Spaniard, so I have a lot of family there, and I studied English and Spanish literature. I'm kind of. Uh, booky, romantic, literature, that sort of thing, (laughs) poetic, I guess. Um, And then after I got married and moved here, um, I went to Central Washington University to get my uh, secondary teaching certificate, and I taught high school for several years. I also taught part-time in the local college, ESL, Um, and that was awesome because that was my first real exposure to sort of a multi-ethnic class. You know, it, it was a good stretch for me. Um, and then I've been a sub ever since then. So I've been dipping in and out of all different grade levels. 
in different subjects. And then um, I ended up having four children, which was my best. It still is my best um, course that I'm on, I, I could say, of education. When my fourth child was in preschool, I thought, gosh, what am I going to do with my time? You know, I, um, there were lots of things I could do, but I want to do something that's challenging and I want to learn about the internet. And uh, I've been studying French as a hobby for years uh, just because I, I'm just very attracted to it. And I've been to France and I just think it's a gorgeous, appealing language. And so with the, uh, with the start of podcasting, I came across this wonderful podcast called uh, One Thing in a French Day. And so I listened to it for several years, just like while I was riding in the car, cooking, doing laundry, all those mundane things. And I found over time that I was actually learning, that um, my vocabulary was increasing, that I was learning about French culture, uh, that my mind was doing its own thing with the podcast. And I was very excited. And so one day, the sort of the penny dropped. And I suddenly thought, you know, a lot more people are studying English around the world than French. So maybe this is something I could do. So I went on to the lady's um, blog page and I looked up her host company. I looked them up and it was one, two, three easy steps to start podcasting. So, so I did it. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, that was years ago and hundreds of podcasts ago. When I go back and listen to the first few podcasts, I sound like I'm in front of a firing squad. I mean, I was so nervous. Um, it was just a, a new adventure for me and I didn't know where it would go, but um, it became my favorite hobby. And uh, one of the reasons is because of the response of my listeners um, when I started to get emails from different countries, from, you know, the Middle East, South America, different parts of Europe, I thought, wow, this is great. You know, it was, um, it was like traveling all over again, but through the internet. So that's really my story. Um, and a brief description of A Cup of English is basically um, sort of a little vignette of daily life uh, done several times a week. It's in written form, and then I speak it in a fairly slow, clear voice because I know that, you know, when you're learning another language, speed is so important. It can be very intimidating to hear fast language. So I try to slow it down, get the people feeling comfortable, and, and then afterwards I have some grammar points that I explain, just sort of um, conversational things that people can always add when they're speaking. So that's, that's it in a nutshell, really. And is the idea when people are using, so they're using your podcast as a tool to learn the language, both written and pronunciation, because you provide the, the written text on your blog, is, yeah. the, is the goal usually, or is your recommendation usually to read or to have the written material in front of you while listening? Or is it just sort of however, however you can fit it in, just listening is also fine? Yeah, well, listening is fine, of course. And listening, actually, uh, I really believe is the key to language. It's all about the ear and all about just being exposed, getting your brain to use that channel to learn the patterns of language. But it's double learning, I believe, if you can read and listen at the same time. So, I mean, it's all good. Either way is good. Um, and, you know, being a busy mother, working part time as well, um, I love just listening to podcasts in my car. 
you know, or when I'm folding laundry, it's, it's doing something that's really useful. It's keeping your brain sharp. Um, but I, I like personally to read and listen at the same time because I feel as though it's just more memorable. You know, the brain makes more connections that way. That's true. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned before you were teaching and at university you were teaching ESL, which I believe is yes. English as a second language. Uh-huh. And so is when, is your podcast and, and your materials on a cup of English, is that speci- is that more geared towards people who are learning English as a second language? Or would you say it's anybody who's trying to fine tune their grasp of the English language? Yeah, I would say it's probably geared to people who... Um, I mean, all all across the globe, people are learning English as a second language. English is so important because it's the business language, you know, international trading, etc. A lot of scientific language is English. Um, so, yeah, it's for people learning English as a second language or perhaps their third language or more. You know, um, there are so many countries where people already know two or three languages. It's... Uh, uh, it's quite shameful for us English speakers because we're usually quite pathetic at learning languages. <laughs> it's true. You know, um, but anyway, yeah, it's geared towards uh, people learning English as second or third language. Yeah. Now, you mentioned also when when you listen, when you first listened to the French podcast and you noticed you were learning and you said it was great because you got to familiar with a bit of French culture. I know culture is important to you. Why do you think, why is culture so important when you were trying to teach the language? Why do you think it's it's so critical for people to understand? Okay, well, I could talk for hours about this, so I'll try to shorten it. Um, <clears throat> okay, I think culture is everything, actually. Um, you know, I was brought up in England, and so I have a certain perspective on life. I have a certain sense of humor um, uh, to do with how I was educated, what I saw on television, what I heard on you know, through the media, expectations. And so that's the filter that we have kind of in front of us when we approach life. <clears throat> and then also being bicultural, you know, English Spaniard, um, that has also opened me up to the world that, you know, people don't see things always the same way. They, We all have this the same needs, the same wants and desires. But we have a different way of viewing things, sometimes different priorities. Um, I saw the contrast between the English culture and the Spanish culture quite soon because I'd spend summers there with my cousins. And in Spain, you know, the culture is, uh, as far as person to person, is warmer. It's more people-centered. I mean, I'm not saying that English people are icy cold. I mean, I don't think we are. Um, but the approach to life and the priorities are different. And so I think it's very important as a teacher to be aware in your classroom or like you and I as podcasters, there are lots of people out there from different cultures, different backgrounds, um, and they have certain sensibilities. Certain things are very important to them. Now, I know you can't be all things to all people. That's that would be way too hard. And you certainly can't be omniscient and omnipotent. You, you can't know everything that's going on in people's lives. Um, but if you can manage to have feedback from your students or feedback from your listeners and know where they're at, what's important to them, um, <clears throat> you can develop trust. And uh, I think trust is huge. Um, I think we all remember the teachers who we trusted 
and who we felt comfortable with. And, um, you know, uh, it's scientifically proven now that with language learning, trust is the basis. You have to have your, they call it the effective filter. Stephen Krashen from California came up with that phrase, the effective filter, which basically means how you feel, has to be low. You have to be uh, trusting and feeling comfortable with your teacher. And culture really plays into that. You know, I would think that, that, and that makes a lot of sense even, of course, I, I would imagine beyond English for math or for science, or math is, is sort of m- more my specialty, but I imagine as once you have that trust and relationship, the, the learning, I, I feel, it takes off. I've seen this a lot from a private tutoring standpoint. Like once I can develop a bond with one of my students where we basically become more or less either you could you could liken it to either friends or sort of like a big brother little brother right. type of situation once i can develop that then everything becomes a piece of cake as far as conveying information having them really respect and listen to what i what i recommend with respect to a study regimen and so on and so forth yes. and in the I, I mean most of the time the reason why I love private tutoring so much is because most of the time I'm able to I'm able to make that bond and it's and it's a really nice thing. I get along great with all my kids, but in the few instances where that hasn't happened, I'll tell the parents very directly too. If that if I'm not able to, then it's it's almost better that that the child goes to somebody else where they can form right. that bond because that's the key, you know. Yes, it is, and you know. I know that you mentioned that you're interested in psychology, and of course, that's very much um, paramount in psychology, you know, when you go to counseling or whatever, is the trust issue. Sometimes if you go to see a a psychologist or a counselor, he or she is not the right fit. And so you have to find someone else. And really, that's something that they convey from the get-go. You know, I might not be the right person for you. Now, I know that in a school setting, kids don't have that choice. It's a real challenge because... Your teacher, you know, you might not get along with your teacher. There might be some some bad vibe there. Um, but as a teacher, we can do certain things to create trust. Um, you know, one thing that uh, that I've noticed as teaching is evolving, as education is evolving, and we're learning new things about the brain, um, trust can be developed by actually uh, working together, collaborating. So the teacher, like you said, is more like a big brother. You end up with a sense of collaborating instead of the teacher lecturing to you, it's it's a totally different approach. It's a different culture in education. And I think it's very exciting because um, I've even experienced collaboration in my podcast. You know, I get lots of emails from people. And when I was sort of um, in my baby years, I suppose, of podcasting, uh, some people would email, email me and say, Anna, why do you have such and such on your blog? Or... For example, my grammar points, I, I just number them one, two, three from the text that I've written. And I used to put little stars. And I remember this German girl emailed me and said, hey, I love your podcast, but th- your stars are confusing. Why don't you number them one, two, three? So I started to do that. And then a gentleman from South America said, Anna, you should make it more interactive. You should have a podcast where you're making us do some work. So I thought, Ugh good idea. So I started to do that. And I got really good results from it and some good feedback. So education, I think, is becoming more exciting because we are not the cold, removed sort of figure of authority. We're developing trust. 
we're having this collaborative relationship and we're more in tune with where our students are coming from as far as culture, language, ability. And um, so I find it very exciting. You know, I think something that also echoes these sentiments as far as an education initiative is something called project-based learning. Are you are you familiar with project-based learning yes. by chance? So we yes. just had, we had this awesome guy get, come and give a lecture at the school that I'm going to be teaching at next year. And it was, it was actually a full day presentation on project-based learning. And that sounds exactly like it basically engenders it. It seems to me, I haven't, I haven't tried it explicitly yet, but it seems to me that it would create that same type of bond or connection with kids because you're allowing them you're putting them in the driver's seat and you're allowing them to sort of decide how do they how do they want to learn this topic in what manner what medium do they want to create etc yes i think you're right and um you know from substitute teaching i found that teachers of all levels are beginning to incorporate this into their classrooms and so you know when you actually walk in and look at the classroom it's a bit more noisy it's a bit more messy you initially think gosh you know uh, does the teacher have full control of the class? And what, what's actually going on is wonderful. It's kids in groups, uh, collaborating, brainstorming, <clears throat> and the teacher is actually working as kind of a supervisor, a prompter, an observer. And, you know, another great thing about these projects, the project-based learning, is that um, kids develop tremendous confidence. And a lot of these projects are based on reality they're based on the the things that we actually do in life so problem solving um you know working with mathematics in the real world or working with language in the real world uh for example finding your way around a new city as a group um using clues uh you know using money investing this sort of thing and so kids end up being i think more much more engaged and then they go home and um you know, if they're lucky enough to have someone at home they can talk to in a reasonable way, then they can share this and they'll find, wow, you know, my parents do this, my siblings do this, or they can share that experience. And so it makes school more valid, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, you just made me think of something. I actually had one of my one of my parents the other day. So so let's say now let's say we're we're just talking it's kind of along the same lines as so project based learning is a great tool because it gives kids, uh, it, it puts them in the driver's seat, gets them engaged. Well, now I want to talk about reading and basically having, so it's not, you sound like somebody you love to read, you studied English, and you actually intrinsically enjoy it. But if you, what what's your recommendation? Uh, let me give you a little scenario, actually. So I have a student, she loves reading comic books and I actually think comic books are fine to a certain degree but I do think it would be awesome and her parents think it would be awesome too to read more books in that sense like what and I was thinking so my thought was well she likes comics maybe we can see if we can get her some books on the comic book making process or something along those lines you know that something that would be in her interest but I guess what I want to ask you what is what would your suggestions be in that case or generally as far as getting kids over the summer is more engaged and more involved in just fun reading. Yes. Um, I think, um, you, you know, you've hit on a sort of a, a sensitive subject here because I've been around so many kids, um, including two of my own who have sort of reading issues. Um, you know, they're really not into it. And I, I especially having 
so much technology around them, so much social media, it's far easier to watch a video and you can glean so much from things like YouTube. You can learn so much and even video games. Um, it's finding what they care about. It's finding something that it psychs, excites them. So, for example, my youngest son, Robert, um, is a bit of a goofball. He's 13. He loves to laugh. He loves to fish. He loves people. And he's a baseballer. So um, I've been able to go to the local library and get him, you know, some adventure books about surviving in the wilderness, short ones with pictures. And, and even though he's at the age where he should be reading chapter books, you know, without pictures, it's okay as long as he's reading and he wants to read those things and also funny books. Now, let me tell you, even though I sort of consider myself a reader and fairly literary, I mean, it's not that I read all the time. I really don't have the time to, but I love it. Um, I didn't actually get fully engaged in reading until I was probably 13 years old. And, <clears throat> excuse me, my best friend lent me a book called The Rats. And it was a horrible horror story. Uh, but you know what? I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with the gore. And it was probably the first chapter book I'd ever read. And I read it from cover to cover in no time. And then I quickly went and read all the other authors' books. So I fell in love with horror. And it was since then that I, you know, I actually started to read the books that the teachers wanted me to read. Um, my, I think my daughter's the same way. She's 11. She's a very lazy reader. I've just got her into Roald Dahl and, of course, classic writer, um, but hilarious. You know, Matilda, we've probably, you know, a lot of us have seen the film or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's hilarious. And so you've got to find something that really hooks the kids, that opens that initial door to reading. And when the door is open, I think not to overdo the reading, you know, just a little bit every day, even if it's not the 30 minutes the teachers want, even if it's 10 minutes a day, um, it's, I think it's about developing the habit. You know, I mean, I, I only read about things that I'm interested in as Me an too. adult. Me too. So, so why would we expect kids to do anything different? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing when, when you mentioned you developed the, the reading the maybe your reading habit or love for reading at 13. And I, I feel like I actually, did a lot of reading in school, but it was mostly obligatory. And and then I, I, in law school, we have to read tons and tons and tons. As an attorney, I had to read a lot. I didn't start reading. I actually didn't really figure out what I liked to read because I was always reading at work or at school. I didn't really figure out what I actually liked to read myself until I was in my 30s. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, so I really think we should view it as a process. And I think anything that encourages kids and gives them crumbs of information on the way uh, and encourages them to actually open a book, it might initially be pictures or some goofy things or something that's very personal. Um, I've been considering recently, because my, my daughter wants to be an actor, director, superstar, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, she's very pretty. She's into her looks. Um, well, how about I get her some books on beauty, her, or some books on acting or how to make films. You know, we, she and I love to watch films and then we go to the special features section where you see how the film was made, which actually often is far more fascinating than the film. So getting that, you know, behind the scenes look and all that it takes to make this creative piece. Um, if I can 
hook her the same way that she's hooked to, to watch that into a book, then I will be able to pat myself on the back. You know, the challenge as teachers is to be able to do that with multiple kids. Um, so again, I think we can link that back to the trust and how much we know about the kids, um, you know, get them to share with us what their likes and dislikes are, you know, um, what their dreams are, etc. And then as a creative teacher, hopefully we can furnish them with some kind of literature. Yes, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, like, it, let's let's talk about. So, of course, English is your is your area of expertise for kids looking, let's say, especially now it's the summertime. They're trying to do some extra work for kids looking to or even adults looking to strengthen their grammar, their vocabulary, their writing ability and their reading ability or or any of those. What are some online tools or tools that they could use independently that you would recommend that you think are top top of the line? Okay, so I've actually recommended these on my link in my on, in my website. There's uh, well, three in particular. There's BBC Learning English, of course. I've, I'm used to the BBC, but they have a huge, broad spectrum of you know things for kids that are educational uh, videos, uh, PDFs, all kinds of interactive things that are going on. They're sort of ahead of the game, I think. I don't think you can get bored if you go to their site at all and just kind of browse. Um, Dave's ESL Cafe has got a lot of grammar and I like his style. Um, He's been doing it for years. He's an American man, I believe. And he gives short grammar lessons and they're very pertinent. He gets right down to the nitty gritty. You're not overwhelmed with lots and lots of language or huge, long, complicated sentences. It's quick and dirty, and but he really makes his point. So he's very good. And also eslgold.com. Again, that has a variety of things you can look up. Uh, it's very expansive. And yeah, grammar is very important, especially if you are, you know, intermediate, upper intermediate, advanced, or if you have to take exams. There are lots and lots of people who email me who have to take very hard English exams for their work um, or to get into university. And often their standards are much higher than ours, actually. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they're very grammar focused. And I know that grammar can be so dry and so boring. Um, Excuse me. And the way I was taught all those eons ago was very grammar based. Thankfully, I happen to be into languages. So I kind of put up with it and I learned from it. It can be very off-putting, especially if you have a teacher who's kind of a, a grammar Nazi. You know, <laughs> the interaction and fun and language language usage and speaking, um, I think all of that is far more colorful. But, but you can't get away from grammar. And I think these three uh, places on the Internet are, are tremendously helpful. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned that sometimes these... These English exams can be even tougher than the ones that natives are meant to take. Would you say also that some of these resources then would go would be useful for for folks who are just trying to improve their grammar, but maybe still grew up in England or the U.S.? Oh, of course, of course, yeah. Um, I think any time you expose yourself to our own language is a good thing. You know, um, even watching a video if you can 
put the subtitles on. That's a good thing. Um, I read somewhere that, uh, that w- there was a study about that. And even if you're not particularly paying attention to the words on the screen and you're just focusing, let's say, on a cartoon, that you'll pick up um, maybe 10 words a minute. Well, for a kid who has reading problems, dyslexia, who's totally unmotivated, well, that's, that's 10, 10 words more per minute than he would have picked up had he not put the words on the screen. So, I, you know, that sort of thing, using technology, um, even if books scare you, there's so much on the internet that's very interactive, very helpful, and it just makes it more appealing. And I suppose I could say, unfortunately, our culture now is that everything has to be entertaining. <laughs> you know, we're spoiled. Um, everything seems to be interactive and noisy and spins around and flashes and education is having to become more that way. Yes. Like, what, what's the word? Edutainment. Isn't, I think oh. that's the, the, the phrase for it. Yes. Word for it. Um, okay. So that, that was awesome. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to reach out to you and check out your podcast, how can they, how can they get in touch with you or, or see what you're up to, see what you're working on? Yeah, well, my website is acupofenglish.com and my email is very easy. It's acupofenglish at hotmail.com. So you can contact me through my website. I've got my app uh, available in iTunes. Um, <clears throat> well, for iOS and for the other one uh, <laughs> uh, called also A Cup of English. So I'm very easy to contact and I love to hear feedback from people. And also, you know, I invite people to give me suggestions for podcasts because, you know, I have my way of thinking. I, you know, I have certain things that are important to me. But if people want to hear about something in the American culture, something from British culture or, or something about their own culture, I love to research and then create podcasts. So, yeah, give me uh, give me a, a buzz on my email. Uh, drop me a line and I'll, I can create a podcast. Awesome. All right, guys. Yeah. That Anna, thank you so much. So again, that was Anna Riggin, A Cup of English. So definitely check that out. I'm going to put all that information in the show notes. If you want to check out the show notes, go to www.scalarlearning.com. And as always, if you have questions or comments for me, you can email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. would love to hear from you. If you haven't done so yet, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got new episodes coming out every day this summer. So it's going to be a lot of great education information that is all for this episode see you guys next time take it easy Skiller,